Hello, everybody. Richard Wigan here from Southern Uses Podcast, and yes, we are still working on our theme song. How is everybody doing? Still working on getting the video podcast up and ready. I recorded a test show last week just to see how long I could talk to see uh, what the format of maybe a video podcast would be. Because obviously it's going to be shorter than what these shows usually are. I try to get into a certain kind of series of how I do episodes. The longer ones tend to be more explanations of things that I want to talk about. And then we got into talking about the reboots or the rumors of reboots. We kind of do like half hour kind of formats. So the video will be separate from that. Even shorter. For right now. We'll, we'll see how, how, how well it goes. Maybe some episodes will be cut into two parts. But still at least try to keep the same length of what I'm, what I'm currently looking at. Maybe about 15-16 minutes uh, as a video podcast. But once again in the news, there was a leak. Spider-Man No Way Home leak, I guess. That now it is, they they hit iTunes and they changed the date from March twenty second to March fifteenth. So now you can get Spider Man No Way Home. They had a high quality leak, and I, I thought about this. This is really interesting because of the other Marvel movies. I mean, all Marvel movies, but generally you're you're excited when a movie comes out to theaters that. All the different kinds of distribution rights and whatever, you know, whether or not it's going to be on Disney Plus or what have you. It is really great that Spider-Man and all Spider-Man movies get to come out to DVD, 4K, Blu-ray, and digital. If it was locked on Disney Plus as that turning red is still locked, and people are fumed at that. Not just, you know, your average folks. We're talking about people who actually work there. Disney is in the news again for not-so-great things. Basically, you know, you watch the Pixar shows, and what they started out as, these, these different worlds, you know. And I've had this conversation with my sister a lot. My sister Rosella and I talk about the, the generation of Pixar movies, what they started out as leading up to now. And she really likes it more when they stay in the world of, like, objects or bugs or something that, you know, is conceptualizing that format. Once it started getting into people, you know, then you really wanted to relate to people. And before you had, like, fish. And you had insects. And you had these odd, odd groups of characters that you still somehow found relatable, you know? Voice by the voiceover artist that was that was uh, bringing the character to life, or whatever. Once you get into people, it opens it up to diversity, and there's all kinds of diversity: race, color, even religion. Pixar hasn't, you know, crossed over into that path quite yet of religion. Right now, they're focusing on stuff that they can barely get contained, and as we start saying in other shows. It's strange that what Disney Plus has put a hold on, which is the uh, soul and the upcoming Turning Red, you know, these are important films for 
diverse groups of people. I mean, your Asian community would, would, would want to see turning red. Everybody would want to see turning red. But in the world that we live in, everybody wants to be seen, which makes sense. When you're watching the show, do you feel represented? I'm a dweeb. I'm a nerd. Of course, I'm always represented in movies over and over. But that's not exactly how everybody looks at things. So when it comes down to it, especially the, the Marvel movies that want to kind of go over what they've done and kind of rebrand themselves. And there is rebranding to a lot of everything that's been in the past 10 years. Everything's gone over this reconstruction. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. You, you've noticed certain things. Like there was a character, I guess, in... Well, not, I guess. I, I did see it, and I do. It was in Onward. They had a line that said that... The, I think it was one of the female cops. They hinted that she was in a lesbian relationship. And that's kind of, you know, in, in the parenting world, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, you want your kids to grow up right, but I don't know how you decide you want your kids to grow up right if you're not teaching them right from wrong. If you're teaching them how to, in a way, I mean, discriminate against people. Or at least allow, you, you need some kind of allowance of what's going on in the world to understand, I mean, discrimination is terrible. And there's all kinds of forms of discrimination. So your parenting groups don't like lesbians being talked about in uh, cartoons. And whatever they're trying to say with that statement, you need, you need to think of the whole scope of it. And the whole scope of it is that everybody wants to be represented. Okay? Nobody wants to be left out. You're leaving out people if you are discriminating against them. In some, in some forms, the people that I've... like politicians, and I want to get into specific names, because one specific name I would change my opinions on a, t a, a tad. We might get to him. But there's a, there's a politician that at the time was known for a bill that was looked at at the... There's another bill in the news, but coincidentally same kind of crap. But he forced this bill that automatically kind of subjected a group of people. It didn't really say that whether it did or not. But that was the assumption. And because that was the assumption and there was no clarification in the bill, him denying that there was a problem with the bill was actually, in a way, sorry to say, perfectly kind of legal. Because the wording of it didn't specify sexual orientation. I look at it like this. He didn't look at it as discrimination. If, if, it's not looked at as discrimination if you just ignore a group of people. You know? specifically if you're a politician who claims that you represent a particular area. You know, I don't want to say this guy's name, but we'll get to him probably episodes later. But politician from my state, he took on a higher office, if, if that could be a bigger, bigger hint. He never looked at himself as discriminating against anybody because he ignored them. You know, he didn't feel like he needed to put a magnifying glass on their lives and see what they were doing, and know to discriminate them. But that's that's exactly what it was. So going back to Pixar, Pixar is, is being accused of the same stuff. Over the years, there, I guess, I guess, have been more stories that they wanted to have part of the LGBTQ community. And Disney has censored it. 
over the years. They have censored a lot of these stories. So sometimes these things do get out, like the Onward. So there are there are more and more ways of more people connecting and getting, you know, they want to be represented and they don't want to be offended. You know, those who want to be represented are getting offended that they're not. And when they do finally get representation, then you have another group of people, the entitled, <laughs> that claim they're offended on those people getting preferential treatment. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a slippery, slippery slope, and Disney's only getting worse. So now, before I get into the main topic that I wanted to discuss, something that I saw, I didn't see the show when it aired, but I just like, you know, we don't know a situation. So we talked about the Adam McKay Will Ferrell thing a lot. I saw a video, just a little clip, and it puts somebody in an awkward situation, but I appreciated it. I really appreciate it. It was a clip from uh, the Late Late Show with James Corden, and I really appreciate James Corden bringing this up to Adam McKay. You know, it, it, it's just weird how you, you, you pick your friends, your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, However, whatever the relationship between him and Will Ferrell is, you know, I just recently saw an interview, barely got to see it with John C. Riley, and I, you know, they, they tiptoed, they even tiptoed, they just immediately ignored, you know, everybody's excited about Adam McKay stuff, still, no matter what. But he brought up a clip that went viral years ago of Adam McKay's daughter, Pearl, a clip that they did with Will Ferrell. So I just really liked how. James Corden just chose to talk about it. I mean, it's one of those... It could have been, like, a uh, innocent thing to ask, you know, hey, about your daughter, your daughter, go, you know, your daughter... It turned into an interview about him telling stories about his little girl wanting to become famous and getting all this fame and getting offers and stuff and kind of wanted to dial it down because Adam McKay's wife didn't approve of it. At the time, didn't approve of it. So I kind of dialed that down over the years. But he kept having to reference Will Ferrell, you know. And he kept having to say, you know, we went to Will Ferrell's guest house and did this and filmed this and didn't know how it was going to go and kind of credit the fame. Because you got to credit the fame of Adam McKay's daughter. How else would Adam McKay's daughter go viral? Break it down like that. How else would she go viral if she wasn't in a video with Will Ferrell? You know, Adam McKay, he might have been a somebody, but it's one of those things where they needed each other. And throughout a lot of their careers, their careers started right around the same time. You know, Adam McKay being a, a writer on Saturday Night Live, writing a lot of maybe the popular sketches that helped launch Will Ferrell's career. Will Ferrell gets noticed, cast in movies, Adam McKay starts writing and directing these movies. They kind of like write each other's coattails at the same time. And for a lot of time, you don't know which one is, is, you know, succeeding over the other. For a lot of the times, it looked like it was Will Ferrell as the frontrunner, right? He's the main one. He's the bigger star. Now Adam McKay wants this. He wants the spotlight. What's really cool is that nobody from the movie, all those people in Don't Look Up, not one single nomination. And who he had cast in that movie? He had everybody that's been nominated the past years. Over the years, Meryl Streep, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill even gets noticed these days at the Academy Awards. 
and he stuck it with the movie, and nobody got anything. So that's great. He did get the important, you know, nominations, but Adam McKay might be a follow along the line of a James Cameron type, where he's going to probably get the big ones, but as far as actors in his movies, they might not get all that attention. You know, who's to say? And we'll also say, you know, who's, who's to say of uh, the future casting of his movies, who's he going to take from other Will Ferrell movies? So I thought that was really interesting, what uh, James Corden did. It really had to make Adam McKay tell a Will Ferrell story. You know, how do you say, how do, how do, how do you uh, talk about somebody that you're not talking with anymore? And I, I, I said, I don't, I don't know what their friendship or relationship is, but it had to have been awkward for Adam McKay to talk about that, and I really appreciate James Corden for putting Adam McKay in that position. I really do. So, uh, the next topic that I have to actually discuss is somebody who's a, a, kind of a difficult actor, but there's kind of some stories behind that. And actually, coincidentally, I did actually talk about this story in my test video podcast that nobody will ever see right now. But Christopher Eccleston. Talk about Doctor Who a lot. And he was, if anybody knows about the history of Doctor Who, to really sum it up, the show's over uh, show's 60 years old. Stopped in the early 90s with a movie. And then... From there, they decided to reboot it and bring it back to the BBC and under the reins of Russell T. Davies, who now, coincidentally, is now the new showrunner. So they start off the show with the what is actually called the, the first season of Doctor Who. It's the first season of Doctor Who with Christopher Eggleston. But from there, that's how we get up to now. We are actually in the 13th season with the 13th Doctor. But Christopher Eccleston is in the first season. He only lasted one season. I've read... Every year, I don't know why, I seem to read something different about Christopher Eccleston that somehow connects. And now this latest one is actually the main connecting factor. So, and, I, and I, I'm familiar with him a little bit. He had a part in Heroes. He's in G.I. Joe, I think. And he has a part in the first Thor. <laughs> and he had a problem working on that. That's a separate topic. He had a problem working. He was under a lot of makeup. And a lot of his scenes got cut. So they, you know, they they uh, take probably take advantage of him. Over a lot of other actors out there. He's the doctor. He has now come out forward saying he, he will not come back as the doctor. In these live action shows. The reason why I had to specify that is because he has come back for the audio stories. So he has come back as the Doctor. But he won't return in a live-action form. He has many different opinions of it, actually. He does not like... Because they want him back for the anniversary show. And so far, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith, David Tennant, they're all on board to come back. Christopher Eccleston doesn't want to come back. So, at the time of his season... They thought that it was due to him just not working out with them, creative differences, uh, his, the working environment. And it is kind of you know, a little a part of that, but they kind of overshadow one little important element. 
because there was talks of, did he not get along with Russell T. Davies? I guess he had a prior relationship with Russell T. Davies on another show, which led to that. I don't know, based off what I read, that Christopher Eccleston didn't really understand how big the show was. Didn't know what to expect. The production schedule was a lot. The working schedule, they worked him really hard, and he probably he wasn't used to that. The main part of it was that at the time, apparently he was quoted in a BBC magazine or something, of his views of the production schedule. And he just got labeled as this tired actor. And he feels like he was misquoted. And he doesn't appreciate being misquoted. And he doesn't appreciate the BBC not backing him up on it, which caused a lot of distrust between him and the BBC. I mean, it's all basically based off all one misunderstanding. And who's to say what would happen if that didn't happen? And he continued to be the doctor for a few more seasons. But he just wasn't used to working on a TV show on that scale. And then he said that by the time that David Tennant came in, David Tennant understood all that. David understood how hard they work on the show for a big show like Doctor Who. And then later on, it would cross over to Russell T. Davies and eventually turn into Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat later takes over the Doctor Who seasons. So he's on for a little bit. Stephen Moffat is the showrunner for most of David Tennant's seasons, leading into Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. Entirely stepping down to focus on other projects, leading up to Chris Chimnall to take over for Jodie Whittaker. Stephen Moffat was also the co-creator and showrunner for Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. And then once that kind of came into play, Christopher Eccleston really loved those episodes, I guess. He really appreciated the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. I think there's a small part of Christopher Eccleston in it, and I want to say he was filmed separately, and I want to say that he didn't meet the other people, and they did briefly get him, I think. I can't remember. Because he appreciated the story by Stephen Moffat. He really loves, not loves, but he really appreciated Stephen Moffat. But his opinion for the, the next anniversary, because he doesn't want to be in the 60th anniversary, he says he'll maybe come back for the 100th anniversary. So fans will have another 40 years to look forward to that. So that's his humorous take on that. That, and he doesn't really like when they do multi-doctor stories. So he has, he has he's kind of a mixed bag. He doesn't want to come back because everybody else is coming back, basically. And he kind of puts it out there that if he did come back, he would want to be the only doctor. He feels that these multi-doctor stories are a cash grab. Now, there's some truth to that. I see articles every day that act like that Matt Smith and David Tennant can't save Doctor Who now. There's still rumors running around that David Tennant could still be the next Doctor somehow. Like I said, he's a mixed bag of he doesn't want to come back unless it's only him. Like going with the cash grab idea. Yes and no, but if you get into the show, 
for what it is. Like shows, so it's been around for so long, and they all they they for years would always do that. It's not a new thing to bring back the doctors. Years ago, there were several specials called the Four Doctors, and then it was like the next Four Doctors. They they've had several series of these years and years ago. Put it into David Tennant and David Tennant's father-in-law, who also played one of the doctors. So they've had that idea for a long time. So at the same time as saying, yes, they will make more money if they bring back... It's kind of like my idea of bringing back David Tennant. And in the show, I had said that that sounds like they are wanting to do it for the fans. Like fans would go crazy if David Tennant... I have my reasons why I wouldn't want him, but if he did, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because it is David Tennant, and I am a fan. But I just think originally, where they want to take the story, unless Russell T. Davies' vision is to fix, like, they have this odd idea what happened over Jodie Whittaker's season. they got to fix what was done because they really didn't like a lot of the storylines. Fans would get excited, and then they get disinterested. And they'd be forced to watch this stuff that they don't enjoy. Hence, they look forward to the next thing. So, fans are excited about the upcoming anniversary. But as you can clearly tell, Christopher Eccleston is not. However, he does have an opinion of the most recent Doctor. He says that Jodie Whittaker is the best one. And I only think that he thinks that because he's not going to say that a previous predecessor that was a man is the best or better one. I don't think he really counts Jodie Whittaker as competition. I think that's what he really thinks. So we'll see where that goes. So far he's not going to return in the live action, but he will come back in the audio stories as usual. But I just thought that was very interesting to talk about as Christopher Eccleston as a person. Because, you know, he had had this long-lasting... I mean, I've seen pictures of people who meet him at conventions, so they have met him and talked to him about Doctor Who kind of hard to block from your life that you were known for Doctor Who and you can't be on Doctor Who and it's just strange that this is what his view on it is. I don't know why he just can't suck it up and come back. Even if they wrote it that he was like the lead or something. You know, it would, it would be years and years of building up to that because he didn't get to do very many episodes. I don't know what kind of stories can be told in audio form, but I'd be interested to see him actually come back. And interact with the other ones. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound like he wants to be too much of a team player, is what it is. But he's breaking it down as the character. To him, it makes only sense to have one doctor at a time. He would want to be the only doctor. We hadn't had we hadn't seen enough of him to know if he could carry on his own special without all the other doctors. It would be really really strange. Unless Russell T Davies has a plan to revert back to what they originally did. I don't know. It's just all a toss-up of what's coming of Doctor Who. Once again, more stories are coming out of who the next Doctor could be. There's another special coming out. She's already filmed her last regeneration scene. There's now talks that it's going to be like the best thing ever. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before or experienced on Doctor Who. But like I said, we'll see. So I just wanted to bring that up. You know, kind of like a short episode today talking about rehashing things about Doctor Who, and I just thought we had some really important things to get out there. So, we got more, probably another story coming in later the week, or next week, and eventually get it into video podcasting. 
and turned in the show to a whole new thing. So more experiments coming up with that. So I thank you for listening thus far. Don't forget to subscribe if you already haven't. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor.fm, and Spotify. See you later, everybody. Bye.